0: Welcome to Two Dedicated Attorneys, a podcast for the arm industry. My name is Liana Lattis, the moderator of this podcast, and I'm here with Kelly Nepper Stevens, who is the Chief Compliance Officer and General Counsel of Stonely Recovery Associates, along with Nicole Strickler, who is partner at the Messer Strickler Law Firm. Ladies, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourselves. We'll start with you, Kelly.
1: Hi, everybody. Uh, My name is Kelly. I have been with the industry for about seven years. I work as the general counsel and chief compliance officer at Stonely Recovery, um, where we do um, all kinds of debt collection for all different kinds of clients.
2: And Nicole? Hello. I'm Nicole Strickler and um, I am a consumer litigation defense attorney based in Chicago. I am a shareholder in the law firm of Messer Strickler and focus my practice uh, in defending corporations against um, consumer litigation claims.
0: Awesome, well I am so excited to be working with both of you ladies. Just a fun fact for everyone, this is the first female hosted podcast in the arm industry. Both Kelly and Nicole were named one of the 20 most powerful women in collections this year, 2018, and one of the 25 most influential women in collections in 2016, both awarded by Collection Advisor. With that said, let's dive into our first episode. We will be discussing common letter dilemmas faced within our industry. Let's get started.
1: All right. So um, this is Kelly. And I think one big problem that we are faced with as collection agency agencies is the content of our collection letters and what happens when a case arises in a particular jurisdiction that has a huge impact on our letters and the content of our letters uh, you know, Do you change the content? Do you not change the content? And so I wanted to discuss that, uh, particularly because there have been several cases over the past few years and even few months that really reflect on you know, the, the validation notice language and interest language disclosures. And it's hard as a director of compliance looking at our letters to make the determination about when is it time to change that content. Nicole, what would you recommend?
2: You know, that's a really tough question that I think a lot of agencies and, and others in the arm industry struggle with. And I think it's just making the determination as to whether this is a one-off Um, decision by a district judge or whether it's part of a wave of change or um, a a wave of new claims that actually has merit. Um, So it can be tough to decide, you know, when a one-off decision comes down, whether or not to actually, you know, make that change. And um, a lot of times, you know, from the litigation perspective, we see these changes coming um, from a mile away, just upon, you know, the, the new claims that we've seen being brought into our, our own offices or what we're litigating um and you know uh, in all honesty i think it takes uh, a true legal opinion from someone who does this type of you know work to decide whether this is just a one-off crazy decision by a judge that has no precedential value or whether this is a you know a, a new trend that's actually going to hold some weight you know for instance um you know, we had a case that came down from the Seventh Circuit, um, you know, earlier this year, the the Bauscher case, and it, it talked about language that you want to put in your letters when the balance is changing from day to day. And here in the Seventh Circuit, um, you know, we had always used the Miller McCalla language, which is, you know, as of the date of this letter, you owe X, but because of interest, late charges, or other charges that may vary from day to day, the amount you pay would be greater. Um, and so we a lot of agencies had just you know used that any time the balance of a letter had changed. and the problem was is that in a lot of those circumstances, we weren't actually changing the balance with the addition of those particular types of fees. You know there were no late fees there knew there were no costs. so in that circumstance, um, you know claims started to arise saying, you know you can't use those safe harbor." You know messages and in, in all circumstances, it's only when those are the types of, you know, charges that are actually being added to the account. And the important part, I think, from our purposes is just to know, you know, by the time that Bowsher case came down from the Seventh Circuit, that was really not a new theory or idea. Idea, we'd been seeing those claims for for years on the defense side, so it really shouldn't have come to anyone's surprise when that came down. Um, that's just kind of an example of something where you know, it's a difference between a one-off crazy decision and something that's actually like a trending, dangerous line of cases. Kelly, what are your yes, thoughts? And we,
1: yeah, I was going to say we had received some of those Boucher type claims, uh, actually primarily out of the Southern District and Eastern District of New York, um, that first started with, well, are you charging fees? Because why are you putting the full Miller and McCalla language on if you're not charging fees? And then you're saying to the consumer, fees may change the um, you know amount listed above when fees actually cannot change um, the amount listed above. And so you know i thought about that and the types of considerations that i think about when i'm deciding okay should i pull the trigger and change my letter language you know which is going to require me to notify my letter vendor um you know uh change all my templates notify my clients and then when the sample templates are completed submit it to the five states that require approval Of the letter content uh, before you can be using the letters. And those states include Nevada, New Mexico, Idaho, Connecticut, and Maine. Uh, And they charge for that. Uh, And so, you know, as a smaller agency, I'm always thinking about costs. And I'm always thinking, okay, well, I'm going to have to be updating this. There's a lot of cost associated with changing my letters. But with that sort of line where you're thinking about, okay, is it misleading to tell a consumer that fees may change the above when I'm not assessing fees at all and fees may not? So that made logical sense for me to change that. And we had updated that language uh, probably a year, maybe two years before that Seventh Circuit case came out. But with the Avala and um, now Taylor line of decisions, um, and, the, and the Taylor case is the decision that came out of the the uh, second circuit involving no requirement to put a notice on your letters when the balance is not going to change we didn't change our letter language and add that sort of disclosure that You know, the balance above is not changing from day to day. And that was a difficult decision to make. And I talked to a lot of people um, about what to do there because there were particular firms that were rapidly firing claims anytime a consumer walked into their office with their letter um, and they didn't see any uh, interest notice on there. Uh, And my response when I first started getting those claims, well, that's because no interest is being assessed, you know, on the account. And their response was, oh, well, then you need to tell the consumer that the balance is not going to change. That's misleading. The considerations that I'm thinking about there is how many claims am I going to get uh, on this on this issue? Can I litigate all of those claims? Can I afford to do it? Ultimately, with those um, Taylor cases, I think I fought probably six cases. Between the eastern southern uh, districts of New York, uh, thanks to the Taylor victory, we won those cases, um, and you know all of them has re- have resolved. And um, because the issues were were similar, I ended up spending maybe twenty five thousand dollars to to resolve to resolve them, and I I got to pay uh, my trusted defense counsel rather than the consumer plaintiffs bar on this unique claim. Um, And if I had six cases, if I settled all of those out, I mean, they would have settled, what, around $3,000, right? So 3,000 times six, I think it was money well spent in that particular instance. The other consideration there is the client's right, right? If I had changed that language and added it, it was gonna impact a right of my client to possibly charge interest. I can't be waiving a right that my client may actually have without working with them and getting
2: them to approve that that particular I think, language. I think, Kelly, that brings up a good point about clients and client expectations, especially when, you know, collectors are working for large creditors, um, you know, like national banks that might have their own idea about what type of language needs to be in collection letters. And something that comes to mind uh, right away is the tax consequence language. Um, I've seen over the years lots of of clients, particularly the national banks, want to force their collectors to put certain disclosures in collection letters about the tax consequences of a particular settlement or paying a particular amount of the debt. And that can be very difficult um, to to, uh, navigate depending upon what district you're in, um, what You know the case law is in your district, whether it's uniform across, you know, the various circuits, um, and then individually what your client actually does and does not do regarding ten ninety nines. But you know, a good point to this is that it, you know, now several several years ago, there was one case that held a debt collector liable for not including tax time language in a collection letter, which kind of spurred, you know you know, people as a prophylactic measure to put in this tax language. And then that never really caught on and the, you know, ultimate conclusion was really, no, you don't have to include tax language. We don't want people giving tax advice. But, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to, I think, from a client perspective too, you know, talking about not only waiving their rights, what the, you might or may not waive, but, you know, what their requirements are too for your um, particular communication. So what it sounds like is that there's no two cases that are the same.
0: So what's like the best way to go over your letters, letter reviewing practices that you could give advice for other people?
2: Well, I think that number one, you really have to employ counsel. There's and it should be outside counsel. Um somebody that actually litigates these claims. Um, you know, AC International has a great member's attorney program. There are lots of us out there that do this um, every day. And so, you know, we're looking at letters every day. We're litigating cases about letters every day. Those are the people that are going to be able to to know either what cases are on the horizon or, you know, what, what concerns really should not exist. Um, You know, so I think, you know, obviously you're going to start in-house for developing your letters, but I think at at one point they need to go uh, get another set of eyes from a from a litigator on them.
1: I also think it's important, you know, there's a lot of industry uh, resources available that publicize regularly different cases that are out there that impact letter language. And so paying attention to InsideArm, accountsrecovery.net, you know, with with their updates, um, being a member of, you know, the different Um, associations that provide um, really good content on what's out there and offer you know webinars where you can hear from folks and ask questions about you know what they're doing and what they recommend. Um, I I also think you know when you're making these considerations that you want to think about the general policy and sort of how that falls in line with your compliance management system, your sort of company values and guiding principles. Like when the out of stout language um, came out and the Buchanan decision came out, talking about partial payment language, you know, nobody foresaw that. Uh, you know, the courts were going to say, OK, you need to also advise consumers about when a partial payment might, um, you know, bring the account back within the statute of limitations, revive that so that it's no longer out of stat. But it, it makes sense with, you know, the guidance that the CFPB was putting out there and, you um, you know, the idea that it's misleading if you're not telling consumers that. Um, so, you know, when when there's sort of a, a decision that that, um, you know, seems logical and, and otherwise matches with your policies and procedures, sometimes that's the time when you're like, OK, it makes sense now that I would I would add that language. But it's real important to be talking to people about how to actually craft it and to be thinking about, OK, how is this going to otherwise put me at risk? Right because you know, if you're gonna put that partial payment language on a state where a partial payment isn't going to revive the statute, then you might also be providing false advice and you're gonna open yourself up to lawsuit again. So um, there's some real detailed considerations that you have to be thinking about and, and the best way to do that is by, by you know, um, uh, speaking with a lot of people and, and taking advantage of the resources that are available out there. Any last thoughts? Yes. <laughs> you go first, Nicole.
2: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, me first. Um, you know, letters letters can be tough because they're such a minefield for class actions. So I think paying particular attention... Um, you know, doing reviews not only on a yearly basis, but if it's possible on a mid-yearly mid, mid yearly basis um, and keeping track of who has the ability to modify your letters, um, you know, in your own organization and, and making sure that, you know, there's a process and procedure for doing that the proper way so that you don't have a case where, you know, somebody's doing something within your organization and authorizing something that perhaps, you know, you don't even know is happening at that particular point in time, um, I think is important. Um, But besides that, you know, Kelly, I agree with you, you know, taking advantage of the of the different resources that we all have available to us in the arm industry is important to keep to keep, you know, those that need the knowledge knowledgeable about what we need to be doing to not only, you know, deal with retroactively with claims but proactively look at you know new ideas that are coming down the pipeline uh, to make sure that we're ready
1: yeah, and even new crazy ones like I hate to bring it up but the Cadillo case there they in that's in the Northern District of New Jersey where a, a judge ruled that the validation language copied from the FDCPA <laughs> itself is a violation in particular because of the word if, which comes directly from the statute, you know, it boggles your mind. And it's it's uh, it's real frustrating, but you know what? I, I have to look at it from the positive perspective of these are the kind of things that make my job super interesting um, and allow me to think outside the box because uh, who knew that collection letters would um, take up so much time and energy um, and thought, you know, over the exact word placement. Um, uh, I certainly didn't before I got I got involved in it, and now I would say that twenty five percent of my time, at a minimum, is all about collection letters. So, um, well, thanks I, for listening. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain from my own comments on, on Cadeo. Um but I I I agree with Kelly with everything she just said. <laughs> well, that just makes it more oh, real. Yeah. you know we're all about the reality of things so we're just very honest yes I love that
0: you both always keep it real especially with keeping in theme with this podcast you really stand out because you both have different considerations to take in when approaching the collections industry Kelly being an in-house counsel and Nicole being an outside defense counsel the fact that you're both working hard to bring
1: two differing points of view to the table just shows how real you really are thanks everyone for listening. We really appreciate you stopping in. Yeah, for sure. And tune in for our next episode where hopefully we can give an update on a major victory in the Cadillo case. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Perfect. It's on the agenda.